Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today's episode is my second conversation with Dr. Tabitha Barber, who is a triple board certified OBGYN, menopause and functional medicine expert, and she's also the gutsy gynecologist. This time around, we dove deep into menopause, the myths surrounding GYN care, the issues surrounding the Women's Health Initiative study and how that adversely impacted female hormonal health care over the past 20 years options for hormone replacement therapy versus navigating natural menopause therapies, the net impact of hormone replacement therapy or not using it on our bone, brain, and heart health, statistics around skip cycles, and the predictors for who will navigate into the menopause transition with less issues, the role of tobacco use, endocrine disrupting chemicals, and extreme stress and being underweight, and how that can push us into menopause a bit earlier, the changes to our bodies to anticipate, including muscle loss, vasomotor symptoms, and vulvovaginal symptoms as well. We could have talked for hours, but today's podcast episode I know will be incredibly valuable because we also touched on bladder health, incontinence, overactive bladders, and prolapses. Like I said before, there will definitely be a third episode with Dr. Barber. She is always the kind of female provider we are all looking for. And she answers all the questions you are oftentimes afraid to ask. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. Tabitha, it's so good to connect with you again. I would love to do a little bit of a deep dive into menopause. Like I kind of refer to it affectionately as puberty in reverse, (laughs) but let's dispel some of the myths. What are some of the confusions or terminology that you feel like your patients really struggle with around this time in their lives? Oh my goodness. So this is what I hear used to hear in the office all of the time. I'm done having babies. I don't need to see you anymore. Right? Huge myth. That is not true at all. You still need to have your ovaries and uterus examined periodically. You need a breast exam. And if you have a good gynecologist, you're going to talk about your hormone journey and how things shift and change. And if you don't feel like your gynecologist is capable of that, then find someone who is well-versed in hormone replacement therapy, or at least understands the menopausal transition. You know, I always tell women, you don't need to be on bioidentical hormone replacement. You don't need to go into menopause naturally. You need to do what feels right for you. And you need to know all of the options and the risks and benefits and alternatives. Like that is how I'm just so strong about that. Like you should know what you're signing up for or not, because I came out, you know, of training at a time where hormones were dangerous and scary. And we just have this idea that women's hormones are not safe and it's complete garbage. It's totally false. Our hormones are very protective. And we need to understand that when we go into menopause and our hormone levels go down permanently, they're now at this, you know, nice low level continuously, 
that we are no longer protected and our risk of heart disease goes up, our risk of diabetes, our risk of dementia, our risk of bone loss, not to mention the vanity things, our skin changes, our eyesight, our hair, our nails, all of that stuff, our libido. So women need to know that hormones are not only safe, but they are healthy and they keep us from aging. And so it's up to you whether or not you want to do bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, but you're not being told the truth to make that decision in the first place. That's where I get fired up and angry. (laughs) I bet. And for listeners, I did an amazing podcast with Dr. Avram Blumming and Carol Tavares earlier this year, talking about the book Estrogen Matters, which I strongly encourage everyone to read and make informed decisions. And I really agree with you that I would say it's like 50, 50, 50% of the women that are roughly my age ish or a little older, many of them are using some type of bioidentical therapy. And then there are others who are choosing not to, and there's no judgment, but I think it's important that you make an informed decision. Remember in our last episode, Dr. Tabitha was talking about informed consent, why it's so important that you make a decision from a place of knowledge, not out of fear. And yes, we both trained around the same time because I remember in around 2002, when I was finishing up my medical training saying to my mom, oh my gosh, the women's health initiative comes out and I was like, estrogen's bad. And now we realize it was just really bad data that they extrapolated and the media perpetuated. And now you have not just patients who are scared of hormone replacement therapy, but clinicians, which just perpetuates the bad information. And I think it's really impacting women on really profound levels. I always say that the older I get, the more I think about brain health. And there was a great book by Dr. Lisa Moscone, the XX brain. I hope eventually to interview her on the podcast. She's doing a lot of research right now, but that book really changed my whole perspective on hormone replacement therapy. The more I understood about the physiology of the brain and how all of our sex hormones, not just estrogen, but progesterone and testosterone have signaling areas in the brain that impact our ability to not just metabolize glucose, but have clear, cohesive thoughts and whether or not people recognize this or not, women are largely protected from things like cognitive issues and Alzheimer's until they go through menopause. And why does that happen? Because we lose estradiol signaling and estrogen is an insulin sensitizing hormone. And we really need to think about Alzheimer's as a type three diabetes, or we need to understand it really at the basis of that is insulin resistance. And I think it was interesting. I think it was Bruce Willis recently kind of sounds like maybe there's some cognitive deficits going on with him. And I actually said to my husband, I probably have no doubt he's gone through andropause. Yes, it happens to men too. It isn't just women. And the number one reason why men develop insulin resistance here in the United States is either from exposure to estrogen mimicking chemicals slash insulin resistance. And it would not at all surprise me if that's contributing. I don't know anything about his medical care. I'm just surmising from the outside based on what I've read. Yeah, it's so important. And You know, that's been more important to me lately. Like you mentioned, once you start transitioning and you are no longer having regularly cycling hormones and you're getting that brain fog, all of a sudden you realize how important it is to have your brain health when you don't have it anymore. And I commonly see women age 60 to, you know, 65 coming to me, they're, you know, five, 10 years out of menopausal range. And they're like, I can't think I can't concentrate. I can't remember anything. I can't sleep. And they want their hormones back, you know, because no one had that discussion with them. And 
it's really frustrating that the, the most commonly heard thing is, well, if you're not having hot flashes and night sweats, you don't need hormones. You know, that's the other big myth that's being perpetuated by conventional medicine. The third one that kills me by gynecologists is if you don't have a uterus, you don't need progesterone, right? Progesterone is only to protect the uterus from overgrowing its lining and causing uterine cancer. That's totally false. As you mentioned, there are receptors all over our body in our brain. We've metabolized progesterone, you know, into a couple different forms. One is called alpha pregnant diol, and that actually hits our GABA receptors in our brain and prevents all that anxiety and insomnia that so many women are struggling with during perimenopause and menopause. Our body likes our hormones. The key is they need to be bioidentical. You know, you mentioned the study, the WHI that just shifted life for millions of women. So many problems with that study. First of all, they were studying synthetic hormones, conjugated equine estrogen from horse urine. That's not what we make. They were studying a synthetic progestin, totally not what we make. And they started women average age of 64, I believe, on these hormones. So they were already over 10 years into menopause and having heart disease and diabetes and dementia and everything else set in. So many problems. Then there's two arms to the study, estrogen only or estrogen and progesterone. So the findings of the study weren't even explained correctly. It was really that the synthetic estrogen was increasing your risk of blood clot and stroke. And adding that synthetic progestin was what increased breast cancer, you know, by like one out of every thousand women or something. So the findings were not of statistical significant value. They were not the hormones that we would recommend they aren't given in the way that we recommend to give them. So we've learned so much since that study almost 20 years ago at this point. And what we've learned is that hormones are safe. If you are mimicking your own physiology, if you're, you know, monitoring it and the bigger piece like that I want to drive home is that you're metabolizing them correctly. So I can give you bioidenticals, but if you're not doing the other work to have a healthy liver and a healthy gut and moving your body and all of these other things, keeping your blood sugar in control, then you can still have risks with those bioidentical hormones because it's not just about your levels and your amounts. It's how you're metabolizing them. I can't emphasize that enough. So that's where testing is really important and being monitored and knowing what is your body doing with these things that you're putting in them, right? Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFOS, Teflon, and ceramic. 
And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Well, and I think it's really important because again, we've conditioned our patient population that a pill is going to fix everything. And oftentimes when I'm talking on social media or I'm talking about my personal circumstances, my own journey, I always say that if I didn't have all the other things dialed in, I could have a very different experience. Like you have to get the sleep dialed in. You have to get the nutrition dialed in. You have to get the gut health dialed in. You have to do all these things before you band-aid with hormones. And the hormones, let me be clear. If you want to take hormones by no means, I mean, it's the right decision for you. But if you're not doing all the other work, it's not going to help you. How many women do you see that say, oh, I got put on HRT and I feel better, but then I gained 15 or 20 pounds. I'm like, well, you have to back up the bus. Like you can't, eat like you did when you were 20. You can't get by with not getting enough sleep. You can't be, especially in light of the fact that, you know, some, and and I'm hoping we'll touch on some of these things, some of the physiologic changes that are occurring in our bodies as we make that transition into 12 months without a menstrual period. When you understand the physiology, it explains why sleep becomes more important. explains why stress management is not just two minutes of meditation once a day and you check the box. It explains why anti-inflammatory nutrition is important and why 
you know, you might not tolerate alcohol anymore. I'm always super open. And I say, I've never been a big drinker, but during the pandemic, I just, I was a social drinker. And so I wasn't doing anything socially. And I actually said to my husband, every time I have a glass of wine or a martini, my sleep is terrible. One, just one. My sleep is terrible. My REM scores are in the toilet. I have hot flashes and it just isn't worth it. And so if I don't drink alcohol, I don't have those symptoms. And when I suggest that sometimes to people like on social media, as the reason why I don't do it, they're like, oh, I never would have you know, made that connection, but I think it's important. Each one of us might need something different to have a big impact. Now, I'd love for us to like start from the beginning, starting from when we are born, we have so many primordial follicles. And so by the time we you know, hit, go into puberty, we have like 300,000 follicles. And so by the time we get to close to menopause, we have a lot less of those follicles. So kind of talking about you know, each month, ideally, when we're in peak fertility, we're having an ovulatory cycle, releasing an egg, um, you know, hopefully the, the healthiest leg egg of what's available. So when we go into menopause, do they become dormant? Do, are they dead? What happens to those eggs? <laughs> so that's a great question. And I, you know, I, it's important for women to realize they are born with the eggs that they're going to have and potentially, you know, use to have a pregnancy and create a human. Whereas men, they make their sperm every 48 to 72 hours throughout their life. And so it's completely different. It matters how healthy your mom was when she was pregnant with you, because that determines the health of your eggs and your baby. It's amazing to me, but that piece becomes really important in fertility issues because, you know, I do case reviews for fab fertile. They help with fertility, with high FSH, low AMH. So your FSH is follicle stimulating hormone coming from your brain. And it's telling your ovaries, make more estrogen, get ready to ovulate. And sometimes doctors will measure an FSH level and they will determine your future off of it. They will say, oh, you can no longer get pregnant. You need donor eggs, IVF. You're in menopause. You're done. And I will tell you, I see FSH get reversed all of the time in my fab fertile clients, you know, that I do case reviews for because it's a dynamic situation. Hormones are very dynamic. It is not a light switch. It's not you on and off. It's not one and done. And so say you're 35 years old, you missed a couple cycles. They draw an FSH it's 40. Oh, you're in menopause. You're done. We'll see you later. Well, then you have a period six or eight months later, and you're freaking out. Like, what's wrong with me? Do I have cancer? Am I okay? Because it's not a light switch. It's dynamic and things affect and talk to the brain all of the time. Like not only are your ovaries talking to your brain, your thyroid is talking to your brain, your adrenal glands are talking to your brain, your pancreas is talking to your brain, like all of your blood sugar, your cortisol, your thyroid, they're all influencing your sex hormones. And so it's really important for women to understand that your body first and foremost wants to survive. So it's going to choose that route first before it starts to procreate. So if everything's dialed in, then your sex hormones can get attention and get balanced, but everything else is a mess. Then that's going to be the last thing to be dealt with. 
Same thing with your liver. You know, we've talked a lot about it on the last episode that we did together. Like your liver has to metabolize your sex hormones, but it's going to choose the alcohol toxin that you just ingested first over those sex hormones. So your estrogen will be dealt with later, if ever, because if it keeps dealing with alcohol and Benadryl and (laughs) Ativan and stuff like that, it's never going to get to your estrogens and they're just going to pile up. You know, I think of it as like, you have to not only take the garbage out of the kitchen and put it on the side of the road, but the garbage truck guy has to come and take it or it will pile up on the side of the street. So there's a lot of different, you know, places in your body that you need to be thinking about how is this affecting my hormones? So back to our cycle. So we get in there, our brain, our ovaries start talking that causes menarche, our first period, things continue on. I just want to point out a couple of things. Periods shouldn't be miserable. They shouldn't be heavy. They shouldn't be so painful and horrible that you miss school. You shouldn't have crazy migraines. Those are blood sugar issues, heavy toxic burden issues, too much cortisol. Those are other issues. That is not your sex hormones. So first and foremost, if that's all you got from this podcast, that's huge. So when you start cycling, you know, you are producing estrogen from that FSH response. LH comes in and says, all right, everything looks good. Let's ovulate. Boom. You release an egg from the ovary. The place where the egg actually was is now called the corpus luteum on your ovary. And that's what produces progesterone. You know, it used to be common to, for PCOS to go in and do ovarian drilling. I don't know if you remember this, but surgeons, you know, gynecologists are surgeons. We were trained that we would go in laparoscopically and drill a bunch of holes with cautery, with electrical burning technique and burn a bunch of holes in the ovaries. And that would fix your PCOS. That was super popular for a while when really all it was, is, was destroying those follicles that you have left. So you have less ability to ovulate and less ability to make progesterone. And so it actually made PCOS 10 times worse because then your androgens were really unbalanced and there was no progesterone to keep it in check. So Unfortunately, we try out a lot of things on women. Women are kind of like guinea pigs. So just know that if you don't ovulate, your ovary can't make that progesterone that you need. You can get a little bit from your adrenal glands and other things from pregnenolone being changed, but that's really insignificant. So, you know, it used to be that you would ovulate consistently until about age 45, 48, and then you would be running out of eggs. And so you wouldn't ovulate and you wouldn't make progesterone. And then your brain would go, oh, okay, we're done doing this. Let's decrease the amount of estrogen. And then you would slide into menopause. But the past 20 or 30 years, women's lives have changed so significantly that that's no longer a smooth, short transition. It's now like a long process. And so we really need to dial in what's causing this prolonged perimenopause so that we can transition smoothly into menopause. And then we need to change the conversation of how do you want that to look? Do you want it to be natural? Let's make the most of it. Or do you want to slow this aging process and kind of suspend yourself in the 48 age rage with bioidentical hormones? And what does that look like in a healthy, safe way? And I think it's really important. You know, when I was 
prepping for our conversation, there was a statistic I found really interesting. It was saying that if you're in, you know, mid to late perimenopause, two skip cycles in a row gives you a 95% chance that you're within, I thought this was ironic, four years of menopause. I was like, I would think as you start skipping cycles, you're getting closer and closer to that. And then on top of that, it was interesting. It was saying that two years from menopause, 50% of your cycles you have no, you, they're completely anovulatory, meaning you're not ovulating, you're bleeding, but you don't even realize that you're not ovulating. And I think for many women that are in, you know, mid to late 50, 40s, excuse me, most of them are not really focused on conceiving a child. They're not even thinking that way, but it's surprising to me how many women I speak to who are in this kind of late perimenopausal transition, they're like, Oh, I can't get pregnant. I'm like, well, technically, you know, (laughs) you very, you probably could, I mean, it would probably be a surprise if it were to occur naturally, but just understanding that when your cycles really start getting, you start skipping more cycles, you're getting closer to that transition. And I think a lot of women don't understand. They just say, Oh, well, I got, you know, a period once every four or five months, you know, that's fine with me. I just don't know when it's going to come. And much to our last conversation on our last episode, kind of leaning into how do you feel, what's your libido like, what's your energy like to kind of get a sense of where you might be in this long protracted cycle. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's important for women to realize that you can bleed, like you mentioned, without ovulating. So estrogen is coming in the first half of the month and it's stimulating that uterine lining, that endometrium to grow. And so even if you don't ovulate and produce progesterone, the lining still grew and it's going to shed eventually. And without progesterone, it's probably going to shed earlier. So it's really common to see your cycle start to be every two to three weeks, as opposed to four weeks. That's a really common complaint. And that's telling me you don't have progesterone there to keep that lining stable and hold on to it for the entire four weeks. It's being released early or skipping months is when your estrogen wasn't high enough to stimulate growth period. So nothing bled, nothing had to be released, you know, but it's so common for women to have that symptom cover up. We don't have that as a gauge. And I love having that as a gauge. So I am really not a proponent for an ablation or a hormonal IUD, unless it's really significantly necessary. So these are important conversations to have individually. And I would love for women to go to their gynecologist and the gynecologist to say, let's figure out why you're having heavy periods. Let's not just cover it up. So I foresee that future. It's got to happen. It really does. But in the meantime, you as a patient have to be your own self-advocate and say to the doctor, why am I having heavy periods? And if they say it's because you're aging, that is a lie. That is not a true statement. Aging does not cause heavy periods. There's no physiological explanation for that. It's because of the dysfunction in the other areas that we talked about on the last episode. And So that's really important for women to realize. So your perimenopausal transition doesn't have to be 5, 10, 15 years of misery being on this roller coaster. You just have to dial in the other stuff. And then we can transition so much smoother. And I think intermittent fasting, that was a key for me. Like that was a game changer without a doubt. Well, and it's interesting because I, my natural inclination was to kind of dive into what are some of the things that can impact how quickly a woman transitions into 
menopause from that transitional period. And, and I was thinking about meal frequency and insulin resistance and how we know that can exacerbate a lot of the symptoms women experience in perimenopause. But something I thought was interesting is, you know, what has been your experience with women? I don't, obviously I don't, I don't know a lot of people who smoke. I, you know, during my training, I saw a lot of it because I was in inner city Baltimore, but it's interesting when I was looking at like tobacco use as being a risk factor for going into menopause earlier, what I found interesting, and I'm curious to know if this is your experience that smoking in and of itself causes irreversible damage to the ovarian follicles. And then secondary to that blood flow. So it would make sense that smokers would probably be at greater risk for going into menopause at an earlier age. Was that your experience with your patients? Oh yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. And causing infertility because our fallopian tubes have these tiny finger-like projections inside of the tubes, just like our intestines do. They're called pili and they move things along. And so if your fallopian tubes have stunned or dead, you know, fingers, they're not going to move that egg through there and you're not going to be able to get a fertilized egg. And so that can be really affected. Luckily, I don't see a lot of women smoking nowadays. We're finally getting the message that it really compounds, especially menopause, just compounds all our hormonal issues. I will tell you the biggest thing that I see for premature menopause is stress. Women mm -hmm. who go, go, go from like dusk till dawn, 12, 14, 16 hour days, nonstop. They don't sleep. They're sleeping probably four or five hours max, you know, consistently over time, they're over caffeinated. So they are driving this major adrenal cortisol dysfunction pattern, and they're living on all the stimulants required to keep them going all the caffeine, the nicotine, the alcohol, all of these things to get them up and then put them down and get them up and put them down. And if you do that long enough, your sex hormones will say, Yes, she does not love us. She does not want us to cycle. And that is what I see consistently. Women who stop having periods, you know, 43, 45, 47 years old is that's their life. And so sometimes it's salvageable if you catch it early enough. That is the time that I rarely see it reversed. You know, I talked about FSH levels going up and affecting your fertility and you're not having periods. If it's for other reasons, it's almost always turned aroundable. If it's from this chronic adrenal, you know, dysfunction, you have to make major life shifts for that to reverse the effects that it's had on your sex hormones. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I, I can tell that my hormones are off and that's me living that crazy life. Like you're going to have to make some hard choices. You're going to have to evaluate your boundaries with work, with life. You're going to have to really start writing in the calendar, self-care stuff every single day and making some major shifts, or you will definitely go into menopause and then you're going to have to deal with that. One of the most common concerns I see in perimenopause and menopause is hair loss, hair breakage, hair shedding. And knowing that over 80 million Americans are impacted by this is both reassuring, but it's wonderful to know that there are products available 
that can help with these symptoms. Divi is good for those with hair shedding or thinning due to stress in perimenopause or menopause. They can be helpful for addressing dry scalp. And have you wanted to take control of your hair health but aren't sure where to start? This is where a Divi can be hugely impactful. I love their scalp serum. And we know that the scalp serum improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes our hair follicles, and removes product and oil buildup. There are some key ingredients ingredients, including tea tree oil, which works to reduce and prevent excess oil buildup on the scalp, amino acids that help to strengthen hair, fight frizz, which is my greatest concern and reduce breakage, and copper tripeptide one, which is a small protein composed of the three amino acids to facilitate a clean and hydrated scalp, as well as hyaluronic acid, which is nourishing and hydrating to our scalps. As I mentioned, Divi is not just for those experiencing hair loss. I found it to be hugely helpful for scalp health and all of Divi's products, including their shampoos and conditioners, come together to create a full daily solution that helps women nourish their hair and get to the root of scalp health. Do you want to take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean science-backed ingredients? Go to divyofficial.com slash Cynthia or enter Cynthia at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's D-I-V-I official.com slash Cynthia for 20% off your first order. As I mentioned, my favorite product is the scalp serum. And now that we're in the deep throes of winter weather, it is so wonderfully nourishing and moisturizing. One of my favorite ways to take care of my health is with appropriate electrolyte replacement. And my favorite brand is Element. We know that proper hydration leads to better sleep, focus, energy, and more. And we know that hydration isn't just about drinking water. Being optimally hydrated is about optimizing your body fluids ratios. And electrolytes are a component of proper hydration. Element is formulated with a science-backed electrolyte ratio, which includes sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And with the amount of travel that I do personally and professionally, one of the ways that I stay on track is with electrolyte supplementation while traveling. And we know that in traveling, the atmosphere in planes is kept at 10 to 20% humidity and dry air dehydrates us much more quickly, pulling more moisture from our skin and breath. This means that those of us that travel with some frequency need to hydrate even more. Properly supplementing electrolytes can help to prevent dehydration headaches, support our energy needs to minimize the effects of jet lag, and decrease the risk of blood clotting on long haul flights. And Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. You want to go to www.drinklmnt.com slash Cynthia. That's drinklmnt.com Cynthia. My personal favorite is orange with a close second of grapefruit, but there's lots of great varieties and the free sample pack allows you to try all of the flavors out from the beauty of your own home. Yeah. How about women who are underweight? So that's another issue. You know, we see low BMI or highly athletic women not produce enough estrogen. A little bit of estrogen is actually made in our fat cells. And so 
it's kind of this feedback thing where estrogen is a growth hormone. So it feeds our fat and our fat makes more estrogen. You want to find that happy balance, that happy medium, because if your BMI is too low, then we don't see enough estrogen and that increases your risk of bone loss and fractures and it increases your risk of premature menopause. So I would say that's the woman that I want to focus on high quality proteins and healthy fats and weight training and really focusing on muscle health and muscle strength because muscle keeps your fat in check. Muscle, you know, burns the fat, but that is going to keep her stable longer. I don't ever suggest like just try to gain weight and gain more fat. I don't think that's healthy. What I don't know. I would love to hear your two cents on that. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I've had quite a few women that are, and I'm not per se identifying them as anorexic, but they're very fixated on their weight. And so I get a lot of these women who want to fast because they want to maintain their weight and they get very fixated on the scale and the weight. And I know from everything that I read is that the lower your fat mass, and we're talking about like very thin women, I'm not talking about like an average lean woman, we know it can accelerate follicle aging. And so that was one of the reasons that I was curious to ask, was that has this been your experience as well, that I am seeing women 47, 48 going through earlier. I definitely think in 2019, when I lost 15 pounds, cause I'm not a big person that that pushed me over the edge. Like I know I was getting closer, but I do think that that contributed because I just, I lost so much muscle mass. I had no fat left on me when I left the hospital and it took a period of time to gain healthy weight back. And I remember seeing to my GYN, I have a feeling that's probably what did me in, you know, at an earlier age. And she said, women that have major stress, like they've had a, you know, an illness or they've been hospitalized or they've gone through a bad divorce or they have some, you know, they lost their job. Those kinds of things can certainly accelerate that. So I I think getting back to what you're saying about the people who are super stressed out, whether it's circumstantial beyond their control, et cetera, that can definitely push you over. Now, I want to make sure that we at least can touch on some of the changes women can expect. I, I think women are sometimes surprised to know that like muscle mass, as an example, is something that, you know, we start to lose, I think it's 0.7% of muscle mass each year in our thirties and forties. And that this actually muscle is this organ of longevity. It impacts our insulin sensitivity. It can be improved with estrogen, you know, estrogen replacement, obviously bioidentical, but the concept of sarcopenia, I think for a lot of people, they've never heard that term. They don't know what that means. It's muscle loss with aging. It's not a question of if, but when, but it's certainly something for myself that keeps me very vested in making sure I'm having that conversation. And I'm sure as a GYN, you're probably, you probably have women in your practice that were menopausal, but were kind of like skinny, you know, super skinny, but they lost all this muscle mass. So they just look skinny. They don't look like they have defined muscles. And I remind people like, that's not a look you want. Cause usually what goes along with that is osteoporosis and sarcopenia. And maybe this is someone who, you know, back from the WHI study is now concerned slash fearful of hormone replacement therapy, but understanding that, you know, our muscle mass can improve with hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. I really feel for women who are, you know, 50 and over in this country because they lived through the low fat, no fat era and the high intense cardio aerobic jazzercise era. And all of those things were really harmful to women. We were trying to tell women like, 
You can't eat any fat. You have to exercise until you can't even stand up, you know, like you have to sweat, sweat, sweat and deprive, deprive, deprive. And what we learned is that shuts down your sex hormones faster than anything else does. And so what I'm seeing every day in my practice is those women still trying to recover from that brainwash, you know, of cardiology and everybody else in the medical field saying, don't eat fat, exercise more, eat less. And so they're having a lot of mental blockages trying to make this transition. And when I explain to them, like, you need to do intermittent fasting with a healthy ketogenic diet. They're scared to death, you know, or you need to do weight training instead of five hours of jazzercise. They're like, I'm going to bulk up and be fat. And what are you trying to do to me? And it's just trying to get rid of all of these lies and all of these myths that we told them for so long as medical professionals who didn't understand health and wellness whatsoever, you know? And so finally cardiology and all these societies are putting their tail between their legs and saying, we got it wrong, but they're doing it in a very quiet way. Mm -hmm. Media is not helping whatsoever. And so women are confused and, you know, I'm really glad that you wrote this book because it's important for women to understand that your sex hormones, your testosterone and your estrogen, your progesterone, they come from a cholesterol backbone. If you aren't eating healthy fats, you will go into menopause. You will stop making those hormones. And what we see is as soon as you go into menopause, your cholesterol goes up. Well, no, duh, you're not using it to make those hormones anymore. And everybody panics and says, you're going to die from heart disease. It's not because your cholesterol went up. So Mm -hmm. I really, you know, we told women take all this calcium when they're in menopause. And then we found out that calcium goes and helps block your arteries. Like we've done a lot of things wrong as a medical institution in this country and as physicians and nurse practitioners. And we just need to say, we made a mistake and we were actually wrong and it's okay. And this is, you know, what the science is panning out to show is that the way God created us with this innate intelligence and this ability to not eat for days and then eat and have a feast and not eat like that is literally how we're supposed to function. So we just need to get back to how our bodies were made and honor that innate intelligence and our physiology and our homeostasis and stop trying to muck it up, you know, with these fads and everything else. No, I couldn't agree more with you. And I I think on a lot of levels that I cringe because, you know, in the early 2000s, we were still perpetuating seed oils and eating lots of complex carbs. and, And so it makes me cringe, but I'm glad that slowly, 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 the knowledge is getting out there that healthy fats are important. High quality fats are important. Adequate amounts of protein that fasting will not hurt you. A couple more things I, I just want to touch on largely because these are things that clinically I wasn't dealing with when I was working in cardiology. Number one, vasomotor symptoms for the people that are listening. They're like, what does that mean? Unless you've experienced it, you cannot, it's like almost as if you're burning from the inside out. And I recall exactly where I was the first mini hot flash because they were never severe, but we know like 80% of women will experience them. 
and some of it's a, I think a lot of people like to blame estrogen, like, oh, it's because estrogen's falling. And yes, estrogen's involved in temperature regulation, but it's so much more than that. And it's interesting when you look at like, you can break it down by demographics, you can break it down by race, you know, 25% of women will experience minimal ones. And then there's like another 50% that are kind of in between. And then there are people called super flushers. Now you never want to be one of those, (laughs) but it's interesting when you look at the research, alcohol and caffeine appear to be two risk factors. I would add into that insulin resistance because the worse your insulin resistance or diabetes is, the more likely you are to be in that 25% of super flushers. And thankfully I can count on like two hands, how often I've had them, but they're never pleasant. They're never fun. What are your thoughts about that in terms of when, you know, when you're working with a woman and she's dealing with out of control, hot flashes, which are not fun. I couldn't agree more. The women that come to me with those complaints are the ones that hate their job and they don't want to confront their boss and they're absolutely miserable or they're going through a divorce or they haven't spoken to their spouse in a week and they're on the verge of the divorce. Like that is the kind of stuff that drives hot flashes. I promise you. Sometimes I also see, especially in younger women, hot flashes coming from gut dysbiosis, you know, too much strep overgrowth in your gut or it can harbor up in your tonsils, like any of those things. Night sweats are a big one. So estrogen always gets the blame. And what I saw for 20 years is a woman would come in with hot flashes and it was either me or a colleague would give them estrogen. They would gain weight and they would feel better temporarily. And then it would be bad again. And we'd be chasing this estrogen dosing. Oh, you don't need estrogen. Oh, you do. Oh, you don't. Oh, you do. That wasn't what was going on. Their blood sugar was dropping in the middle of the night to wake them up and make them sweaty because they were drinking one or two drinks of wine every night. They were, you know, metabolizing all this sugar. They were eating snacks in the evening. We're still trying to recover from the ADA telling us to eat every two hours to maintain our blood sugar. Another lie. That's just not how our bodies were created. God did not put grocery stores on every corner of our world, you know, for us to eat every two hours to maintain our blood sugar. So hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, Estrogen imbalance definitely affects this and worsens it, but it's not the primary driver. It's blood sugar, insulin, and cortisol almost every time. And then parasites and gut infections, you know, the other times. So what I say to women is don't drink alcohol for a couple of weeks, just see what happens. And if that, if you can't do that for two weeks, that's a bigger problem, right? Mm-hmm. Like you should be able to just not drink alcohol for a couple of weeks to do a little experiment on yourself and see if you sleep better. Don't eat for at least three hours before you go to bed. You got to get that blood sugar stabilized and it's not by eating more. It's by giving your body a rest from eating. That's key. I used to get a lot of complaints when I had, um, my practice of women having to pee during the night. Oh, I got to get up and pee. I got to get up and pee. And they thought my bladder's failing. I, you know, and so we'd put them on medications for urgency and overactive bladder, which are a nightmare in of themselves and have all kinds of problems. 
It's not your bladder. It's your blood sugar. It's your cortisol dysfunction. I promise you. So don't be quick to jump on those overactive bladder medications because that constipates you, which irritates your bladder. That makes your gut dysbiosis worse. That medication makes you super thirsty because it dries out your body. And so then you end up drinking more and that can make you want to pee. So like, I swear all these medications that we give women to fix their problems, just cause five new problems. It's super frustrating. You know, it's not only frustrating for the patients, but for me as a provider, because they're looking, they're like, why don't I feel better? And now why do I have this problem and this problem and this problem? So stop medicating everything. Well, and it's interesting because I never share these things in an effort to make healthcare professionals not sound professional at all. Right, However, exactly. we used to run, it used to be a running joke that you would put someone on a blood pressure medicine like hydrochlorothiazide, which is a diuretic, which would then you would have an increased renal loss of potassium. So then you have to put them on a potassium sparing, you know, either a potassium sparing agent or potassium replacement. And then the diuretic, this one in particular would provoke gout. And so it was like literally the domino effect. You put them on one drug and they end up on five more. And so what Dr. Tabitha is really emphasizing is we need to do the work so that we don't have to be on all these medications and understanding there's a root cause. Now, ironically enough, one thing I wanted to touch on before we end our conversation, and I could just talk to you for hours. So we'll have to have you back for another episode. <laughs> I know. Vulvovaginal issues in menopause are a huge issue. And I would imagine most, if not all women are very uncomfortable having these conversations. And so for anyone who's listening, 15% of women will develop these early on, but by the age of 60, it's almost 75% of women. So it's not a question of if, but when, and it's a direct reflection of the loss of estrogen in the vaginal microbiome, just like you were mentioning the gut microbiome, the mouth microbiome, the vaginal microbiome disruptions there have a profound impact. It changes the pH level of the vagina, which contributes to all these problems. Let's at least talk about this because this is what I would consider to be probably the most taboo subject for women to talk about. Like they may be able to talk about the hot flashes and the weight gain, but talking about their vaginas is something that they're deeply uncomfortable. And so I'm hoping we can have a discussion and get some good information out there so women can better advocate for themselves. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you know, if they're brave enough to ask about it, or if their gynecologist actually asks about it, they don't usually have the best solutions. I would say, you know, in my bag of tricks as a gynecologist, I would give you vaginal estrogen and tell you good luck. And that's kind of all I thought about or had for you. You know, as a functional medicine provider, I'm thinking about the vaginal microbiome and the fact that your pH balance shifts so much once your estrogen level declines permanently. And so vaginal symptoms are one of the first ones to come on with chronically low estrogen. All of a sudden things are dry and irritated and it doesn't feel good. It's not just with intercourse, you know, intercourse can be very painful, but that tissue in the vagina, the skin actually thins out. You lose this glycogen mucus producing layer, you know, that supports lactobacillus. And so it can almost be as thin as tissue paper. So imagine how easy tissue paper tears. That's what happens 
to the vagina with intercourse or even just physical activity because the vagina is a potential space. Like it's a tunnel, you know, with the cervix at the end of the tunnel connected to your uterus, but those walls are usually closed up against each other, right? So when you put something in, you separate those walls. If those walls are constantly touching each other, you can actually get agglutination. So those that skin will grow together and when you try to pry it open, it tears and it bleeds and it feels horrible, you know? So I used to do exams on women all the time. That's all I did all day long. And if you're not having intercourse regularly, putting that speculum in is miserable because I'm finally separating those walls that have not been separated and that have been deficient in estrogen for a long time. And so the same thing happens when you go to have intercourse for the first time in a long, long time, it's miserable. So you really do have to support the microbiome, the bacteria that live in the vagina. And that starts with having healthy microbiome in your gut and probably being on systemic estrogen or some local vaginal estrogen, or you can use the precursors. You could use DHEA. That's another one. Some women will even do progesterone and testosterone vulvovaginally. So there's all kinds of benefits there. And you need to find a practitioner who prescribes these creams regularly because they're not a standard prescription. They have to be made at a compounding pharmacy. You have to have a prescriber who understands how to dose that properly and, you know, write for those prescriptions. But there is relief, you know, and I always get the comment, well, if God wanted us to have all of that, you know, he would have made menopause later. Well, the average age of women was 49 just 100 years ago. And so, we didn't live half of our life in the menopausal state. So this is all new to us and we need to figure out how to manage that and have a good quality of life. And we deserve to have amazing sex and, you know, be intimate with our partners and enjoy this time of our life. Cause we're finally not, you know, worried about getting pregnant anymore and all of these things. And we deserve that. And so you do need to find somebody who can help you navigate that because you don't have to be miserable. The other piece of it I see is your bladder. So mm -hmm. not having that estrogen at reproductive levels anymore gets rid of the mucosal barrier inside the bladder that protects it from bacteria getting in and causing issues. And so the bladder is more susceptible to infections once you're in menopause. And it's really common for women to get two, three, four bladder infections a year. Not only are they miserable, but then you're prescribed an antibiotic to kill that infection, which also kills all of the beneficial bacteria in your gut, which disrupts your, you know, metabolism of the little bit of hormones that you do have and everything else. So it's just the snowball effect. So, you know, when I get to that time where I need estrogen, I'm probably going to go on estrogen right now. I'll tell you, I'm on progesterone. But I see so many benefits to bioidentical estrogen in just preventing the disease processes that set in with low estrogen. So, you know, you really should consider it as long as you're doing it with a practitioner who knows what they're doing and who, you know, is well-versed in all of this, but there are solutions. The other piece of it is 
things can start to fall, right? You and I had this discussion in your private Facebook group. Our collagen not only starts to be depleted in our cheeks and, you know, in our arms and things start to jiggle and sag, the same thing happens in our pelvis, in our vagina. So we lose the volume in our vulva, in our labia, in our lips. We start to lose the collagen support that keeps our uterus up and things fall. And that can interfere with intercourse. It can cause accidents, um, you know, urine or even feces. So there's all kinds of things that go on. And so back to the beginning of our discussion, it's really important for you to have a good women's health practitioner in your corner when you're done having babies and you're going into the second phase of your life because you need them more than ever, actually. I could not agree more. And I'm so very grateful that you know you joined me for a second episode recording. Please let my listeners know how to connect with you, how to find your great podcast, how to reach out to you because The one thing I know is Dr. Tabitha is licensed in many states. So she may be licensed in your state. (laughs) Yes, I think I'm up to 29 or 30. I don't know. I lost count, but you can go to my website at drtabitha.com, D-R-T-A-B-A-T-H-A. It's all A's, no I's. And you can sign up to potentially work with me if you feel like you need a one-on-one practitioner who can prescribe for you. If you just need support in other ways or you want more information, you can listen or watch the Gutsy Gynecologist show on YouTube and podcasts, wherever they're at. And then follow me on Instagram and TikTok and all those cool places at the Gutsy Gynecologist. You know, it's You just need to keep gathering more information and figure out what works for you because we're all individuals, right? But I would say the big overlying arch theme is you can't balance your hormones with just hormones, right? That's number one. The gut affects so much of your hormones. You need to get back to eating the way God created you to be with some fasting, super important. And then the piece that we need to talk about we need to come on again, right? We need to have another episode because we didn't even talk about how women don't love themselves and that whole mindset piece and how we self-sabotage. And we have all these old recordings playing of all the lies that have been told to us. We need to break all of that cycle. That's a whole nother episode, but start there, do the work. We're here for you. And let us know what else you want us to talk about. Cause Cynthia and I could talk all day. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, for anyone who's listening to the second episode with Tabitha, I covered a maybe 25% of what I have on my notes. So we'll definitely have to have you back. Thank you again. My pleasure. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. 